If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, and I hope you'll get excited with me tonight, open up with me to Galatians chapter 2 tonight. Yes. We want to have a culture where we get excited about the right things. That be Ryan's new life in Christ, baptism, that being the word, that being prayer, that being uh, encouraging one another, fellowshipping with one another. I told our teams a moment ago who help us prepare for our services that our prayer when you walk in the doors of the view is that you would walk in and you would have, this is really a prayer, that you would have a wow moment here. And maybe you will, maybe you won't. And I want to define that for a moment. That you would walk in on a Monday night or a Wednesday night small group or a Sunday morning church service and you would say, wow. But not because of the lights, not because of the hoodies, even though they are a fantastic color, not because of the hoodies, uh, not because of a speaker. Uh, I am just as, just as human as you are. Uh, not because of any of those things. But that you would walk in on a Monday night or a Sunday morning, you would say, wow, there's something different about that place. There's something supernatural about those people. And here's what it is. That you would walk in and you say, wow, the way they love each other, the way they love the Lord is different. There's something supernatural to it. And that's what the world truly is drawn to, something supernatural, to experience the love of God in a real way, not a religious way, not an institutional way, but a real relational way. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. That you would come in and you would say, wow, the way they talk to each other, the way they talk about each other, the way they talk to the Lord, and the way they talk about the Lord is something supernatural. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of that. And when I was 21 years old, when I gave my life to the Lord, Ryan mentioned the park for me. I got saved very briefly at 21 years old at a public park the day after Christmas in 2015 while I was laying face down on the ground in tears alone is where I gave my life to the Lord. And when I came into the view, what drew me here was truly experiencing that, that wow moment. That I had just stepped into a place where arrogance was laid aside. I had stepped into a place where pride was laid aside. I had stepped into a place where selfish ambition and ego was aside. And what I saw was people loving God and loving each other in a way that was far different than I had ever seen in the world. And I had been around some incredible people in the world in my 21 years of life. But when I came in, I had a wow moment that, hey, there's something different going on. And it wasn't just the people. It was that the Holy Spirit was involved there. The Holy Spirit was moving there. And that's our prayer for you at The View, and that's our prayer for this entire semester, that we would have fun every Monday night, that we would worship the Lord every Monday night, that we would learn God's word together, that we would grow, and that we would love one another. And so I want to turn our attention to Galatians chapter 2. I have a few things that I want to send you home with. One of them is I want to start by telling you a, a story that I heard recently. <clears throat> it was about a young man, probably mid-20s, a little bit older than you in the next season, maybe 27, 28 years old, maybe my age, and he went to a church service on a Sunday morning, and he walked down the aisle to see the pastor, and he gets up to the pastor, and here's the first thing he says. He walks up to the pastor, shakes his hand, and he says this, I just got out of prison. First thing he says at the altar right here on a Sunday morning, he says, I just got out of prison, and I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure to get it accurate as I could. He says, I just got out of prison. When he went to prison, he thought his life was over, and I don't know if you have ever been to prison. I don't know if you have a loved one who has ever been to prison, but you can imagine the, the hopelessness and the hurt that comes along we're doing time. We could all understand that, that feeling of hopelessness. And this man who was in his late 20s said that in his, in, his, in his cell block, there was a television that would play every single week. And on the TV, at the same time, every week, every day, they would show a different sermon from a different preacher come on the TV. 
All right, so you can imagine a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people, a lot of different voices, yet same truth, same gospel. The message never changed. The ones delivering it were different, but the message was still the same. That's how it should be with the gospel. Amen? The gospel is playing on this television. And at first, of course, this young man, he's in jail. He's like, man, I, let me be honest, the last thing I'm going to do is listen to a Christian TV show, right? I mean, you've seen the ones that come on. Some of them are just awful, right? They're just lame. you got a bunch of folks just dancing, and they don't know how to dance, and they're singing along to VBS-type music, and you're like, all right, I'm, going, I'm not watching this. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with this, right? And he, but he keeps listening to the sermons. Right? He keeps listening. And he said week after week, he kept hearing the same thing over and over, that God loved him and God had a plan for him. Over and over and over. God loved him. God had a plan for him. God loved him. God had a plan for him. And he got to the point in his jail cell where he started saying, okay, well, if God is good and he has a plan for me, why am I in here? And why has so many bad things happened to me throughout the course of my life? Right? He started asking real life questions that you and me wrestle with, that we often don't talk about in the church because we don't feel comfortable enough. He started asking himself those questions. Finally, it gets to the point, and I don't know if you've ever had this moment in your testimony. I remember when I had this moment so clearly where I was just trying so hardly, hard to figure out if this was true, if this was honest, if this was real, if God was really out there. It's 21. And I remember having this moment where I just sat there and I was like, you know what? This might be true. <laughs> You know, when you're a skeptic, when you're against it, when you're, when you're not really believing at all, and then you have this moment where you're like, you know what, this might be true. He had that in his jail cell. He's like, you know what, this might be real. There might really be a God out there who created me and loved me. And he gives his life to Christ in prison, right? He talked about CVS parking lot. I talked about a park. I don't know where yours is. He's in prison. Bars literally are surrounding him. And uh, the story goes on to say, in his testimony, he said this, quote for quote. It's very fascinating. Listen carefully. He said, for the first time in my life, I began to think that I have, watch this, a future. For the first time in my life, I began to think that I have a future. I had never thought about having a future before. I never thought I could have one. But when I found Christ... I found a future. First day out of prison, first thing he does, he goes to church. He tells that pastor, I just got out of prison. He gets discipled, and the rest is history. I love his testimony because the last words he shares are, I believe now that God can use me. I have a future, and I have a hope. For all of us in here, we are in the age range of 18 to 25 years old and if we're going to be honest, if we're going to be real, if we're going to be raw, all of us are thinking about the future, <laughs> right? In some form or fashion, we think about the future, we plan for the future, we worry about the future, we get anxious about the future. Like we are people who in this generation don't just think about the future, but we're pressured to think about the future. At your age range, you are getting bombarded with everything, saying that you've got to have your life figured out down to the T. That if you don't have the right job, the right degree, the right internship, the right marriage, all lined up by 23 years old, then you have missed it. That's the pressure that we live in from social media and from the culture that surrounds us. Some of those things I just listed off, grades, career, degree, marriage, social circle, all good things, but ultimately they cannot give you the future, and the hope that you need. They can't do it. One of the things I loved about the story of the young man is that he searched his whole life for future and a hope, and he didn't find it until it was taken away. 
He found his future and hope behind bars. He found his future and hope when he literally could not move physically. He was stuck physically, and yet he found all the freedom that he could ever want, and he found it in Christ. And so tonight, students, what I want to encourage you with is this. Some of you are searching, you're tired, you're anxious, and the future just seems like a gray cloud that is weighing on you, and you feel like you've got to figure it all out. And here's your problem. You are making your life all about you. But if you will make your life all about Jesus, when you find him, you find everything else you need included. When you find Christ, you find your future. When you find Christ, you find your hope. When you find Christ, you find your value. When you find Christ, you find who you are. Do you know him? And are you living for him in a way that is setting you up to be successful for years to come for his kingdom, not yours? And that's what I want to land on tonight. And so the title of my sermon, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down at the very top. It's not just a cross. It's not just a cross. As we set up this idea of self-denial, dying to self, no longer living for you and for me, but living for Christ, for living for the Lord, we must begin this sermon series that's going to be six weeks long by looking at the cross the most controversial event in human history, right? The one that we as Christians hinge our faith on. Everything is built on the crucifixion and the resurrection. If there's no cross and there's no empty tomb, what are we here for tonight? We should go out and go eat somewhere and go watch a ball game. Like, why are we here tonight if there's no empty tomb? So we need to start at the cross. Because if I'm going to tell you biblically, right, to die to yourself and live for Christ, then we need to look at why. And that is at the feet of the cross, Now, as we look at Galatians, let me remind you a few things. Paul is the author, and he's speaking to the church in Galatia. And the reason he is speaking to them so seriously and so directly is because they are under attack by false teaching. I had a student ask me today, how do I know when a place is really gospel-centered, right, Bible-focused, or when it's a facade? And here's what I'll tell you. Anytime you go into a place and you hear anything being taught that contradicts the Bible and the gospel, you're in the wrong place, you need to run. Right Here at The View, when we preach, everything that's said from this stage is going to come from the Word of God, and it's going to be gospel-centered, Christ-honoring. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Amen? And that's the same for Bellevue. That's the same for The View. We preach the Word of God. We do not preach a false gospel. We preach the true gospel, and we preach it lovingly, and we preach it firmly. Amen? Because that's what our society needs, and I'll be honest. That's what your generation and my generation needs more than anything. So Paul's attacking false teaching, Right? He is sharing with them a reminder of the true gospel. And he comes to a a favorite verse of mine that many of you are familiar with in in chapter 2, where he lays out the gospel. So look at it with me, if you will. This is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, let's pause right here. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that just before these verses, the context of what Paul is saying is Paul is talking about how because of the sacrifice that Christ has made on the cross, we find ourselves free from the law, that we are no longer bound to the penalty that was held above us. We find freedom from the law because we have freedom in Christ. He gives a lot of background about why his gospel is the true gospel given to him of the Lord. And he comes to this pivotal verse. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. 
The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. One of the names of Jesus that is often referenced to him, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that a beautiful text? Amen? And I hope and pray that we we find ourselves in a place where we read this and our hearts are stirred. And I have three very brief things to give you tonight. Let's talk about the cross. Number one, Christ on the cross paid the greatest penalty. Here's the first idea that I want us to walk through. That the gospel says Christ on the cross paid the greatest penalty. Now, as you're writing, you can just listen to me for a moment. The cross itself is very fascinating, right? It was a Roman torture method where they would kill people. They would murder people on the cross. And it's so fascinating because in today, 2,000 years later, especially in the South, you see crosses all over. People wear them as necklaces. They get them as tattoos. You see it on the street. When you pulled in tonight, you were met with three what? Giant crosses, right? You can't miss them. Praise the Lord for me. It tells the story of Jesus. The cross is arguably the most popular worldwide symbol that we have that's associated to Christianity, that's associated to Jesus. And I remember when I was lost, I understood the cross to a certain degree, but I never understood it in my heart. I never understood how it connected to me. I I never understood the value of the cross. I knew what it represented, but my heart completely missed the purpose of the cross. So when you go around Memphis, you will see crosses everywhere like you see them. It is a massive, massive deal to Christianity. But there's a lot that we still, even as believers, don't understand or value. And so for us, a Middle Eastern rabbi named Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago claimed to be God, right? Claimed that he was fully God and fully man, claimed to be the Messiah, walked this earth, did miracles, healed people, loved people, talked to people that nobody else would talk to, fed the 5,000, walked on water, all the amazing things he did, and he was killed. All right, they crucified him. Now, there's a number of reasons that Jesus died, right? When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you find a number of reasons that Jesus died. You, can't, you cannot preach any other gospel beside what I just said, by the way. That Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, came to this earth because he loves you and God loves you, and he died on the cross for your sins. And I hope you never get tired of hearing that. And here's why. The day you get tired of hearing the true gospel is the day you'll start living for a false one. Hear me. We are people who grow up in this culture. We get tired sometimes of hearing the gospel. Hear me very clearly. The day you and I get tired of hearing the true gospel, we'll start living for a false one. Don't find yourself there. Jesus died for a number of reasons. One of them being that when Jesus showed up as the Messiah, he was not what they were wanting. They wanted a political figure who would restore their political reign. And and Jesus clearly did not meet that criteria to them. Jesus came and he was born in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd, right? Like he was kind. He was talking to women in that day, which was a big deal. He made physical contact, right, with lepers that you, you would never do. He broke racial barriers, right? I mean, Jesus completely shook up the culture of the religious leaders. He came and he called out the religious leaders for the sin that they were in, saying, if you remember the parable about the glass, how it's clean on the outside but dirty on the inside. There's a lot of reasons they hated Jesus. One of them being that he claimed to be God. Right? When Jesus shows up on the scene and he says, hey, before Abraham was, I am. That's a big deal to the religious leaders because they're saying, hold on, Abraham is the one in the Old Testament that God made the covenant with. Abraham is the father of our faith. And you're saying 
before he was, you are, I am. That's a massive statement for Jesus to make. And what they couldn't stand is that he backed it up. On trial, they tried to find something in his life to say that he was sinful. All they had to do was find one sin, Hannah. All they had to do was find one sin in Jesus' life, and could they do it? No. They couldn't do it. He's, a, he's claiming to be God, and they can't disprove it. Now, I want you to think about your best friend. I'll have so many best friends that I love and care about. And if your best friend came to you, somebody that you've known for a long time, and they told you that they were God and they never sinned before, would you believe them? Nah, because you've seen them sin. Like, you've seen them mess up. And guess what? If you try to reverse it and tell them you're God and you've never sinned, they're going to laugh in your face. Because they're going to be like, man, didn't you lie to me three months ago about that $20 you owed me? Jesus, and I mean, even just think about the greatness of when he's on trial to be crucified. They couldn't find one thing in his life because he was sinless. He never sinned. Sinless. Fully God, fully man. Tempted, never sinned, right? It's incredible. And then not only that, right, he claims to be God, he's sinless, but every single miracle he does along the way continues to back it up. And their hearts don't want to see it. They have hard hearts towards what Christ was doing, right? Right? He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He heals people right in front of them. People's hands get healed. People get up and they start walking when they've been lame and paralyzed for 20, 30 years, right? They start moving in Jesus' name. Like they see things happen that are miracles. And they still don't believe that he is God. So they hate him and they lie and they accuse him. But the number one reason that Jesus died, the number one reason he was crucified, is because he came to this earth to lift up his spirit. He came to this earth to pay a penalty. He came to this earth to die for something. And what's so amazing is that that something is a someone. It's you. That he came to die for you. That as cool as it is to be healed and to see, to go from blind to seeing color and seeing light and seeing the ocean and seeing mountains, as cool as that would be, He came so that you would be freed from the penalty of sin. Some of these verses you'll be familiar with, especially this one, an incredible verse when it comes to sharing the gospel, Romans 6, 23, amen? It says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All God's people said, amen. The free gift, the gift, the wages right there, that's a penalty, that's a debt, That's a fine. You owe something, right? There is something to be owed because we've broken God's law, right? We are in debt to a holy God because we are sinful people. But because God is involved in creation, because he is personal, because he is here and moving and knows us and wants to know you deeper and wants you to know him deeper, he sent down the free gift, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, so that you might know him personally. Isn't that amazing? That's the gospel, same gospel for 2,000 plus years that's being shared. There's a penalty to be paid. Christ, when he was crucified, don't get it wrong, when he was nailed to that cross, he shed his blood because you and I have sin. Some of you would say, Daniel, I wasn't even alive when he died for you. How more incredible is that? He died for you before you ever even knew you needed him to. Now that's love. That's love. That when you were born with this sinful nature, you don't have to teach a a child to disobey their parents. We just do. 
that when you were born with that sinful nature, you have a debt to pay. And along our lines, our lives, we sin, we make mistakes, we fall short. And every time we do, we're met with grace and mercy when we repent and when we trust in Jesus. It's amazing. Same gospel, 2,000 years. There's a wage to be paid. There's a penalty. I'll take a moment here to say if you're, if you're with us tonight and you're not a Christian, praise God. Glad you're here. I, too, was where you were. Okay? Glad you're here. Honestly, I want to talk to you probably, don't take any shame to this, the most tonight, okay? I would love to talk to you tonight because I was where you were. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, praise the Lord, you're here. I hope you experience something different than what you're getting out there in the world like I did, truly. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But you and I don't have to be Christians to know that our world is broken, that it is fallen, that we have a problem. Do you see how many wars are waged, how many lives are lost, how much destruction and broken families and Missing parents that some of us grew up with that we didn't know, right? There's hurt and there's pain. Where does that come from? Sin. Brokenness. But there's a solution. I love Psalm. Actually, I'll go to 1 John 1, verse 9. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That there is a forgiveness that's being offered to you. And then Paul, later in his letter to the Galatians, says this in chapter 5, verse 6. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's a debt, there's a penalty that must be paid. But Christ, on the cross, when he shed his blood, he paid that penalty. He took your place Not only that, let me give you number two. So not only does Christ on the cross pay the greatest penalty, but number two, Christ on the cross brings the greatest intimacy. That it's because of the cross we have access to the greatest intimacy known to us. And that's intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with each other. What's so amazing if I can be really honest with you guys, and if we can just talk about the gospel, we so often don't value the gift that's offered to us in Christ. We don't value the cross because our hearts have missed the purpose of it. We think we need something else all the time. Do we not? I'll never forget. Um, I'd love for you guys to make some noise. My mom is here tonight. We make some noise for my mom. Amen. Yeah, come on. She reminded me the other day of uh, what we did for my 18th birthday. I don't know what you did for your 18th birthday. You may have got live. You may have got crunk. What we did, I'm from 2006. We say crunk. I don't know if you've ever heard crunk. We say crunk. All right. Dakota knows. He's a little bit younger. And uh, my 18th birthday, what was so cool is growing up, I was a huge Toy Story fan. Anybody like Toy Story? Amen. Amen. I'm telling you, Buzz and, and Woody, I'm telling you, I love Toy Story. And what was so cool for me in my generation is that the Toy Stories lined up with where I was in life, right? Like Andy, Toy Story 2, you know, he's like, well, he's like a kid. He's like 10 years old or whatever. And then you get to Toy Story 3, and Andy, he's going off to college, right? And that came out the same year I was turning 18. And, and Andy was going to, you know, Harvard or whatever, and I was going to Southwest, praise God. <laughs> so it lined up a little bit, you know, it lined up. I was like, all right, that's cool. Southwest Community College, Saluki Nation. And we, uh, 
My mom, for my 18th birthday, when we celebrated at home with my family, we had to do this. It was incredible. We had Toy Story decorations everywhere. It was awesome. My 18th birthday, I was unashamed about it, still unashamed about it. I'll do it for 28. And we had a, a Toy Story cake. We had a Toy Story napkins. I'm telling you, it went all out. All right? If the neighbors had come by, they would have been so confused. <laughs> because I was 18. My sister was 13. This would look really weird out of context. <laughs> And that was my 18th birthday. And I'll never forget, my mom gave me a gift, right? You talk about that free gift, us valuing it. She gave me a gift on my 18th birthday. And of course, me, I'm lost. I have no interest in church. At that point, I hadn't been to church in probably three or four years, right? Like, I have not been in church. I have not prayed. I have not read the Bible. I have not done a single thing. Like, I don't know the Lord. Like, I'm just living in whatever. I'm living in sin. I'm chasing the world. Like, I'm just doing my thing. And at 18 years old, she gives me this gift, and it's in a box, right? And I open it up. And it's a Bible. It's blue. It's got a, a darker color on the bottom. It's got a lighter color up top. It's got a Q on the front. I'm like, Mom, my name starts with a D. I'm Daniel. But I'm like, all right, that's fine. It's got a Q on the front, right? A little Q. And uh, she gives it to me. And I already know. I don't have to ask my mom. I know the disappointment that was all over my face. Like the last thing I wanted for my 18th birthday What's a Bible? <laughs> like, if I made a list, Cam, Bible's down here at 99. <laughs> there's like a car, girlfriend, right? Amen. <laughs> like, there's, I, got, uh, I got stuff on here, right? Like, I'm looking for some stuff. Bible's not one of them. And she gives me this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness gracious. And I, I was so disappointed. My mom was nice about it. I would not touch that Bible for three years. Remember how old I was when I got saved? When I got in my car... It was an O2 Ford Focus, I've told you. It was a girl's car. And I had long hair. When I pulled up to places, people thought it was a girl. <laughs> with subs in the trunk. <laughs> An O2 Ford Focus, long hair. It's a guy with a beard and subs in the trunk. That night when I was going to that park, that's the only Bible I had. That's the only Bible I could find. It's the only one. And when I grabbed it, when I drove out to that park that night, as I was just desperate, I found myself in a lot of trouble. I had a hard relationship. I had just a lot of stuff that was plaguing me. I was chasing after money. I was chasing after things that were, were not of the Lord. I drove out there with that Bible. When I opened it up, I realized it was a and a Bible. It had questions and answers. I think my mom, the Lord told my mom to give it to me because he knew the questions that I would have one day. And as I went out to that park and opened up that Bible, it was question after question after question. I was amazed that every single question that was in that Bible was one that I was asking in my heart. And it kept giving me the answer after answer after answer. And I found myself face down on the ground in tears before the Lord because of his word and what it says about me and what it says about Christ and what it says about you. It was at that moment at 21 I realized just how valuable of a gift I had been given but I overlooked it because I was wanting the world instead. And that's what I want to tell you when it comes to the cross and the free gift that we are offered. There is no greater thing you can be given, yet some of us are being offered the Lord. We're being offered his presence, and we want everything else. We want a girlfriend or a boyfriend far more than we want a relationship with the Lord. We want to be intimate with another person before we're ever intimate with God. Let's be honest in this room tonight. We would much rather have a physical person standing before us than we would the presence of the Lord. Why? Because we don't really get the presence of the Lord. We haven't felt it truly, at least not in a long time. We want money because with money we can build up our name and we can make it all about me. 
We can build up our career. We can build up our foundation. We can build up our social media. We can have a nice car. We can have a nice home. We can do all the things that we see rappers and artists and celebrities do, right? Like we want all those things because it's drilled in our brain. We see it on every Instagram reel. We see it time and time again. And we, our flesh wants those things. Paul says, die to your flesh. Those things will never fulfill you. Paul says, those things will leave you empty. Money will run out. Money's not bad, but the love of money is the root of all evil. That money runs out. Careers end. Health certainly fades. As good a thing as health is, your health doesn't even last. But when you find the free gift that God is offering, and man, I'm speaking to lost people just as much as I'm speaking to believers in the room right now, that when your eyes are fixed on the gift that you've been given of the presence of the Lord, you don't need anything else. And what that does is that brings intimacy. Here's a couple verses that I want to give you tonight. John 17, when Jesus is praying, says this in verse 22 to 23. I have given them, speaking of the disciples, speaking of us, his followers, I have given them the glory you have given me. Look at this, so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. So that they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me John chapter 15, verses 4 to 6 says this. Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. And then I love in the Old Testament, Jeremiah. If you're writing this reference down, it's Jeremiah 31, verse 3. It says, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend Faithful love to you. In light of all this, the cross brings intimacy. I want you to imagine. Can I give you a visual for a moment? Right? Galatians 2.20 says what? It says, I have been crucified with Christ. Chances are none of us in here have seen a crucifixion. Right? Not in Western society. Not in 2023. But I want you to imagine the cross. And I want you to imagine that Jesus is nailed to one side of it and you are nailed to the other side together. That's what Paul says. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is me up there on that cross with Christ. Do you know that that intimacy is supernatural? I mean, imagine the picture that you are being invited by Christ into a crucifixion. Seems raw, right? Seems like why? But he's inviting you into the intimacy that you can experience with the Lord, that your hands would be nailed in the same place that his hands are nailed, that your feet would be nailed in the same place that his feet are nailed, that you would be shepherded through a crucifixion by Jesus. Remember, Jesus talked while he was on the cross. Imagine you're there hanging with Christ. And he's shepherding you through that. What did he say when he was on the cross? What would you have heard if you were truly crucified with him? I'll tell you, the very first thing that Jesus would have shepherded you through if you were nailed on that cross with him was forgiveness. Jesus said in Luke 23, 24, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Then he tells the criminal, Luke 23, verse 43, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Can you imagine being crucified with Christ and hearing him say, Forgive them, they don't know what they do. Can you imagine Jesus saying, Today you will be with me in paradise, not because of works, not because of baptism, not because of anything else except your faith and trust in me. And then, do you remember what else Jesus said when he was on the cross? Again, you're there with him. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, Jesus is showing that he gets it, that he is experiencing the suffering and the brutality of that moment, that he shares in your weakness, that he shares in your suffering. I think about the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is at the point where the cross is coming and he's sweating. It says he's sweating so fervently, right? It's like drops of blood. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, fine. But then he ends it with, but not my will, but yours. He says, I know the cross is coming. And if that's your will, that's my will. Is that the attitude you have about your life, believer? Not my will, but yours. Not my career, but yours. Not my relationships, but yours. Not my money, but yours. Not my time, but yours. Not my schedule, but yours. Not my car, but yours. Some of us would treat our cars a lot better if we believe they belong to the Lord. Not my body, yours. Not my family, yours. Not my friends, yours. All of it anyway is yours. Not my will, but yours. And then, at the very end of the cross, in the most intimate way, you want to talk about intimacy, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If that's not intimacy, I don't know what is. That as he hangs on a cross, it is the Father's hands he's committing his spirit into. College students, let me encourage you. If you know Jesus Christ, here's the great hope and future you get to live with. That no matter what you suffer, no matter what you endure, no matter what you go through, that at the end of the day, when you are on your last day, if you know Jesus, it is into the Father's hands that you will commit your spirit not anything else, not you, not a career, not your social media platform, not a relationship with a person of the opposite sex, not your family. No, the Father. And it's Jesus who will stand there and say, yeah, their name is in the Lamb's book of life. Paul says in Philippians, in his letter, he says it. He says, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Let me give you number three. It's this. Christ on the cross leads to the greatest victory. Christ on the cross leads to the greatest victory. How? How could a loving God, how could a loving 
Savior and a loving Messiah called me to be crucified with him. How is that what the Christian faith is built on? Every other religion out there doesn't say anything like that. How can a loving Savior call me to a cross? God bless you. The cross was always leading to the resurrection. Always. That he can call you to suffer and carry your cross because he is offering you the chance to rise with him. That just as Jesus rose from the grave three days later, overcoming sin, overcoming death, overcoming the enemy, coming out of the grave victorious, that when you die with him, that is when you rise with him as well. That you are made alive in Christ. That you have victory. And that's intimacy. That you would know him on the cross. That you would know him in death so that you may know him in life. In college students, one day you are going to spend eternity somewhere. The gospel I've preached tonight is the same gospel that's been changing lives. And I do pray that it has warmed your heart, pierced your heart in whatever way. But I want you to know that you and I are going to spend eternity standing somewhere. We will either be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity or we will not be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. Heaven and hell are what are on the line. That is what the Bible says. And so for those of you who know Jesus, then hear me very clearly. Let me have your eyes and please don't let your mind wander from what I'm about to tell you. Right now, from 18 to 25 years old, you are making decisions that are shaping who you are for the rest of your life. You are making choices. You are choosing who you're going to be, what you're going to value, what you're going to stand for. Every day you make a choice. I implore you, I exhort you, and I encourage you to choose Christ, not yourself. To crucify yourself every day on the cross with Christ. To die and live as a new man, a new woman in the Lord every single day. So this semester, you have a question before you. As you go into tomorrow, your question is, who are you going to live for? You or Jesus? And the great promise I can give you is that every time you choose Jesus, you find him and everything else you need included. But for those of you in this room that don't have that, there's no music playing, lights are up, this is what I will tell you. Emotions are involved. It's not an emotional decision only, though. And Christians, that's the same for you. As you choose what you're going to live for, who you're going to live for, and what you're going to stand for, emotions are involved, but it's not just an emotional decision. It's not Jesus take the wheel until we, I get control, and then I'm going to take it back. It is a real-life decision. And here's what it is. If you're here and you don't have that, a personal relationship with Christ, there is nothing stopping you from giving your life to the Lord right now. 
You don't have to be in a church to be saved. You don't have to talk to a pastor to be saved. You don't have to put on a coat and tie to be saved. You don't have to clean up your life to be saved. That's the opposite of the gospel. How would you clean up your life and then go get saved? You just saved yourself. Some of you are trying to save yourself before letting Christ save you. It it doesn't work that way. No, when you have a moment with the Lord where you repent, which means you're tired of that sin, that sin that's a stronghold that's got a hold of your mind and your heart and your soul and your life, and it's just, it's just taking the life from you. Like when you get to a point where you're sick of that enough and you repent and you say, God, I confess it, I give it, it's yours, I'm done with it, I'm not practicing it anymore, I'm not giving it attention anymore, like it's done, it's dead, I don't want it no more, I give it to you. You repent. Oh, chains fall off. Every time Dakota tells his testimony of Beach Week, he says when he got saved, chains just fell off. The young man we talked about at the beginning of the sermon, behind bars, yet he's free because those spiritual chains are gone. There's no more spiritual bondage there. And then the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. That's the gospel that's changing lives. And that's the gospel that can change your life.